The Land Bolton Podcast is sponsored by Murrah Ranch Group, serving buyers and sellers of legacy ranches and sporting properties with conservation values since 2005. Welcome to the Land Bulletin Podcast, where we discuss a wide range of topics impacting landowners, ranchers, and future land buyers. I'm your host, Haley Murth. Recently, an opinion piece in the Colorado Sun discussed misinformation being spread about conservation and conservation easements and laid out the facts behind such initiatives. Today, Ken Murr will join me to address these myths, talk about what is actually happening on the ground. Let's see what we discovered. Hey there, Ken. Hey, Haley. How are you today? Good. As always, thank you for joining us to discuss um, not only this opinion piece that goes over a lot of things that are happening at the federal level, um, but also to address some myths that might be out there. I know we've done a couple podcasts before about this, um, so this is a good opportunity to kind of address some of those myths that this article had, but also viewers that have listened to the podcast before have brought up an email and things like that. So before we begin, uh, just for those of you who are listening, the article that we are going to be going over, it's an opinion piece um, called The Critics of Land Conservation Easements Have Twisted the Concept Beyond Reality. And this article is speaking about the misinformation surrounding uh, one initiative that's been happening, the America the Beautiful and 30 by 30 initiative, as well as conservation. Since approximately 60% of Colorado lands are privately owned, landowners play a crucial role in any plan that the government tries to lay out. Uh, therefore, we're not here to address the specifics of this 30 by 30 plan, but rather to speak to some of the misconceptions of conservation and conservation easements, since it's one of the greatest tools at our disposal as private landowners. Uh, so before we go get going, and we have referenced some of these topics in previous podcasts about conservation easements, but we just kind of wanted to talk about what are conservation easements um, at the kind of the higher level. Um, and can I know one of the uh, descriptions that we've gone through is with Eric Glenn when he was last here, but uh, the description of a conservation easement through the lens of CCALT. Yeah. I, I, and before we get into that, I, I think uh, there's a lot of literature out there about programs uh, promoted by whoever's in office, one administration or over the other. And, and one thing about conservation easements, you know, these, these have been around since the late 70s, early 80s. So uh, these have gone through many different administrations and, and they're still there. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why I didn't want to get too much into the 30 by 30 and these various plans. I think they're, they're all well-intentioned, but some of them become wet down in, you know, politics and I, I think it's just really good, but, you know, it's great that they're promoting in these kind of things, uh, these initiatives of conservation. Um, but really, in, inherently, there's just some misconceptions. And sometimes this renewed interest in, in some of these other forms of uh, other federal legislation efforts kind of just uh, put a cloud on these things. And conservation easements haven't changed, really. I mean, mm -hmm. from a federal standpoint, right, you know, over the years. Right. And certainly they have, uh, and, and, you know, I think at least 40 states, if not more, have created legislation, enabling legislation for conservation easements since uh, since the 80s. So, um, you know, you know, I, I think in Colorado, for instance, we're just seeing a lot of the 
taking place because beyond the federal tax incentives, we have a lot of state tax incentive as well. Mm -hmm. At the very top end of all of this, like a conservation easement, uh, to many out there are voluntary agreements between a landowner owner and a qualified organization like a land trust. So it's not between you and the federal government. So to your point, conservation easements are just a tool at the disposal of a landowner at the very yeah, and the key, Yeah, the key word here is voluntary. Mm -hmm. And nobody's putting a gun to the head of these ranchers or farmers to say, do this. These, these are voluntary. And and also there's incentives uh, for doing so, and and really the, these most of these are tailored to each landowner. With each landowner has different needs, mm -hmm. uh, and as we talked about before, with groups like the Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust, these are focused a lot on working lands and not mm -hmm. just looking at protecting a particular endangered species so that it's all prohibitive. You know, these things really are, are, are tailored about reducing development on the property themselves and density and things like that, or subdivision versus prohibitions against certain activities. And, and what's great about these, to your point, is the landowner gets with these land trusts and obviously the land trusts have an opinion of what is important. They do these assessments and all of these things to really determine what would be protected with these. But at the end of the day, the private landowner is the one that's making the decision on what these easements would look like. So it really is a, a collective effort between the land trust and the landowner. Right. And, and they are negotiated and you can pick the particular agency or land trust you want to work with. And typically you work with those groups that share your values. Mm -hmm. So Colorado Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust, Wyoming Stock Growers Land Trust, they are really working with you know, the working landowners out there. And so they share that common interests of preserving those working landscapes, not trying to limit the landowner's use of the ranch for the intended purpose and right. uh, of ag and, and, and creating, you know, their opportunity to still do what they do, what their family does. And to be clear, you know, these, these easements and conservation easements aren't for everybody. I, I always say different strokes for different folks. You know, I owned 160 acres up in the mountains at one point, and I never put an easement on there. And I didn't have the, the same incentive to put an easement like some of these other landowners do. Mm -hmm. And um, so you have to make sure it's the right thing for you to do. But, you know, there's just so, so many myths, and we'll talk about that here in a bit. But it's all in the end, it's, it's really just promoting agriculture for, you know, and stabilizing and promoting, you know, the main economic engine for most of these rural communities. And that's agriculture mm -hmm. is, is what we, at least we focus on. Um, and again, there may be other issues when you get out East coast and, you know, and certainly we've heard as of late, some abuse of the system in the Southeast and in, in the, in the Carolinas or Georgia. Again, when we experienced some of this in Colorado, where, unscrupulous investors, appraisers are, are doing the wrong thing. You know, we can talk about stories here in a little bit, you know, being out in Buena Vista, being out mm -hmm. in Saratoga, Wyoming, being out in the places where the ranchers are the ones that are directly benefiting from it and share those stories and why they did it. That's what's impactful. 
No, it's great. And there's, you know, there's a lot of different communities that are benefiting from these. And we just want to make sure that through our land bulletin, through our different guides that we create for all of you, uh, that you understand the truths behind some of this, because a lot of you do have questions and concerns as landowners. And so uh, this next part of our episode today, we're going to go over some of the myths that were outlined not only in this opinion piece uh, in the Colorado Sun, but things that we've heard just as branch brokers over the years when it comes to conservation easements. So the first myth that is out there is that permanent land protection agreements like conservation easements take away private property rights. And this is something that people have been concerned about for years. Um, and Ken, I'll let you kind of talk about the truth behind this um, and address that myth as it relates to conservation easements. Well, we talked earlier, you know, one uh, that they're voluntary and negotiated. Easements do run in perpetuity. They run with the land forever. And so, yes, you got to make sure, you know, while they're restricting development and subdivision rights, they do not restrict typically the landowner's ability to continue to use land for traditional uses such as crop production, grazing, fishing, hunting, and low impact concert, you know, recreation. Again, they're negotiated. You, you know, the more restrictive the landowner wants to be, that increases the value or the diminution of value attributed to that easement. So again, they're negotiated and they're voluntary. I, I, I just don't stand by that discussion uh, <laughs> at all. I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, fake news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, whatever you want to call it. You know, yeah. one of those things too, that, I mean, when we were having our podcast with Eric Glenn, the executive director at CCALT, uh, someone was discussing, you know, does this mean like my private ownership and my rights will be taken away? And at the end of the day, just so everyone is clear, a conservation easement is purely a deed restriction. It, it doesn't change the ownership of the land. It doesn't do any of that. It is just purely and simply a deed restriction and a tool for the landowner. Right. Well, again, it goes back to uh, conspiracy-driven falsehoods that somehow this is the door for the federal government to gain access to. It's, it's just not. I mean, it was really created for the purpose of promoting conservation because there's so much development going on in the world mm -hmm. and we're losing, you know, you could just look at the, every state, every region, you see how much land is lost from agricultural production to development. And that's the concern. Right. And kind of that figure we talked about earlier to that point, if 60% of the state of Colorado, um, as an example, because we, we know it very well is private land, then that is a, a crucial thing that we need you know, we have the federal lands that are being taken care of by the federal government and all those things. But private land, first and foremost, if there's 60% of the state, you know, that's 60% of the state that could be developed. So conservation easements are a great tool for private landowners. Sure. Well, you look across, I mean, uh, and some people don't always feel like the federal government is the best agency for managing lands. And, mm -hmm. and you have those too at the same time, right? I, and I get that. I understand that. You know, where we focus in Intermountain West, Colorado on average, you know, we, we've got about 40% of federally owned lands. But you get in some of these places like Idaho, and it's 62% owned by the feds and 63% in Utah. So it, it makes a big difference. Hell, it's about 50 50 in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a balance to, to all of that. We've talked before what the impact of federal lands have on 
on land values and what impact federal lands have on you know grazing capacity but that's for another discussion <laughs> that that opens it up to a great other topic for another episode yep. so another myth that was outlined in this article um, is that somehow conservation easements would allow public access onto your property um so you know, if you put a conservation easement on it, all of a sudden it becomes this public space, open land. Um, and again, we kind of addressed it in the last one, but. Yeah. Most, most of our ranchers do not want to do an easement that involves public access. Uh, you know, they feel like they're giving enough already in doing um, some of these conservation easements. Now there are funding mechanisms. If you want to participate in certain funding mechanisms, like, uh, there are easements that are negotiated with the you know, parks and wildlife or CPW um, where they may, you know, if you're getting funding from them, they may ask for, you know, some type of public access, but you don't need to participate unless you want to participate in that kind of program. Mm -hmm. So again, those, those public access issues are freely negotiated between the parties in, in the you know 30 plus years of working in and around that i've hardly ever worked on any easement that actually required public access as part of those got it okay so number three uh the agricultural community is opposed to conservation easements well if that was the case there would be nothing there wouldn't be a colorado cattlemen's agricultural land trust there wouldn't <laughs> be a wyoming stock grower so there would be no other you know state ag association affiliated with that and clearly that's not the case. You know, in, in fact, the tax credit in Colorado, to me, was primarily driven to assist the true farmer rancher. Mm -hmm. and, and the idea that they can get, because they may not have federal tax deductions associated with their operations, but they really could use, utilize the transferability, transferability of the, you know, the income tax credit in Colorado. That's mm -hmm. what really helps you know, the farmers and ranchers in Colorado, they don't offer that in, in, in Wyoming, but again, there are other methods of compensating through various trusts within Wyoming that support the Wyoming stock growers. It's for those groups. It's, it's what it's all about. It mm -hmm. is all about, you know, preserving the agricultural part. So it, they're, they're very supported in all the communities we're in. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, in the article, there was a great quote. It said, uh, these policies must embrace USDA's legacy of voluntary incentive-based and locally-led conservation. So a lot of the USDA things have been kind of these voluntary and localized initiatives. So that's what conservation easements are all about. The next one, uh, the next myth, landowners are not interested in taking part in conservation. And I guess I'll just kind of add the, the next one with that. Um, and they don't see a benefit from conserving their land. So we can We've talked a lot about that, but it's one of, it's been a common practice for private landowners for decades. Yeah. Well, I think IRS originally made the conservation easements eligible for federal tax deductions in 1979, 1980, you know, Congress uh, made, basically made that permanent and, you know, land trust has been around since 1984. Wow. So this is, this is nothing new. I mean, I would love somebody to go back and see, you know, all these easements that have been around since the early 80s, you know, how, how somehow there's been some type of, you know, taking from the feds or something on these mm -hmm. easements. Yeah. Um, and, and, and people have supported them. 
again, there has been abuse of these over the years. You know, Colorado had to go through a, a state agency to kind of manage the, the crisis. And that mainly had to do with the income tax credit. But, you, you know, we were just uh, on a ranch not that long ago in Buena Vista. And growth is just rampant there. And the landowner there who put his property in the easement, who is a working landowner and his family work on the ranch, just said, I'm so glad there was an opportunity for me to do this. Otherwise, the pressure would be on to, to sell this for development. And so he's been able to, you know, transfer. He'll be able to transfer. He'll reduce the basis in his property to transfer it to the heirs. So they don't have to sell the ranch to pay estate taxes. There's so many justifications for doing it. And if it's the right thing for you and your family, then and it's the right thing. Mm -hmm. But it, again, go back to voluntary, all those other conditions. You, you talked about a really good example of how financially this would be a benefit to landowners. Can you name any, the, the tool itself, what that can give to landowners from a financial basis as a benefit? Well, there's, you know, just like anybody uh, deducts charitable donations on their federal tax this is treated as a charitable donation. Okay. And then it also reduces your basis for a ta state taxes because many landowners, you know, may have a very low basis in, in basis, meaning they may acquire to the property, let's say at hundred dollars an acre. And what happens then it's $5,000 an acre and all of a sudden they pass and there's, there's an estate tax due. Mm -hmm. And that's a big burden on many families. So that's another issue. And then if you're working in a state like Colorado, where you have an income, income tax credit, that's transferable. Uh, you as a landowner may not have a large tax due to the state of Colorado, but there are other people who will buy that credit from you and that's pay right. you for that. So, and there are tax credit brokers out there uh, that will work with you. Uh, you. We were just with Marty Zeller this weekend, for instance, at the Highline Canal Conservancy, and he's working with the uh, you know cattlemen to transfer transfer over some of that to cattlemen as part of that. So, mm -hmm. um, it's it's you know it's a wonderful program, and it's it's been vetted over the years. No, it's great, and I love to hear all of those benefits and and the benefits that are helping our landowners all over the West. Um, so, thank you for laying a lot of those myths to bed. Beyond that, I just wanted to kind of discuss with you, you know, even if conservation easements aren't for you, we've said this before, different strokes for different folks. You know, there's a lot of other tools out there for landowners that can help them be better stewards of the land that they own. Um, so I just kind of wanted to go over a little bit of those tools for those of you who are listening um, so that you kind of have a better grasp of what's what else is out there beyond just conservation easements. Well, well Haley, in, in fact, though, what would be nice to say is even if you have an easement on your property, you can still benefit from these programs. Perfect. So some of the things, though, these things are additive to this. You know, just because you do an easement, you're not done yet. You, there are other things that because you're you're engaged in the stewardship, maybe deeper, there, there are opportunities, even with the easement in place through the NRCS and the USDA, uh, there are all these farm you know, programs out there. Mm -hmm. And from a stewardship standpoint, there's water infrastructure, uh, you know, cost sharing, fencing, fire mitigation, wildlife habitat improvements. There's access to funding. So as a good steward, now you have the, this other form of, you know, funding for, for your operation. And then there's other additive conservation programs people have been talking about a little bit by carbon offsets, wetland mitigation, 
and wildlife habitat. And, and these are other additional credits that you may be compensated for by you know, promoting and, and doing good sound conservation practices with or without the conservation easement. So like the that. nice thing to know is with, with the conservation easement, it, it doesn't limit you from uh, participating in some of these other programs. And in fact, some of these are additive in that you're already doing these good practices and there'll be money to encourage. So there are groups out there that'll help you get additional funding for these Great. You know, sound stewardship practices. And beyond that, I mean, one of the other things we've been talking about at length um, is regenerative agriculture practices. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, these agricultural producers, how um, to increase their income, to increase their production while also being stewards. Right. We talked about the BX Ranch for when one of our podcasts were, you know, that's a good example of regenerative ag as it relates to, you know, grazing practices in, in, in the West. And there's so many different types of regenerative agricultural practices beyond that, but grazing and that kind of uh, practices are, are, are very big in our, in our neck of the And with that, you can have that in addition to the CE. So you might be getting these tax credits and this financial incentive from the CE while also increasing your production as a rancher. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't limit your ability to still produce. Mm -hmm. And like BX is a good example where they, within this easement in place, they increased capacity on their land, but still protected the conservation values that were identified in the easement. Mm -hmm. And I think just, you know, to summarize kind of everything we've talked about and to address this opinion piece and all of the the myths that are out there, at the end of the day, I know we've said it till we're blue in the face, but this is a voluntary tool at the disposal of landowners to realize their financial goals, their agricultural goals, and then their legacy goals to be able to protect these spaces that they care about um, so that future generations in their own family or in their community can enjoy it for years to come. So. Yeah. And well, we didn't touch on that. I mean, just e even the impact of these things on the community, mm -hmm. on the rural community, on the economic community, keeping these things uh, and keeping land in production helps sustain the commu community. Mm -hmm. And when we, you know, beyond just the economic benefits to the landowner, themselves. Uh, it is about a communal kind of situation here. And, and uh, when you see areas that are integrated with easements and people still operating ranches mm -hmm. uh, and you're driving down the highway and you pass through all these, it's, it's a pretty good feeling. And I think one of my favorite examples and of that impact on the community um, and the view sheds of the public even is the drive between Castle Pines and Colorado Springs. And that giant open space owned by Malone. The um, Greenland Ranch. Or, yeah. Greenland Ranch. And that'll be there forever. So it's it's just really impactful what these private landowners can do for for them and for the community. Yeah, that's a good example of just preventing that a megalopolis from, from uh, you know, growing south. But, you know, there, there's really good examples of some of this, the strong, you know, on the Sawatch River corridor in a very urban, I mean, very rural setting and Southern Colorado, where all these landowners adjoining one another protected these huge areas in the middle of, you know, a, you know, very kind of rural area, all operating properties. So when you see that combination, especially when you find ordinary ranchers doing 
extraordinary things by doing some of these things. It, it's amazing. And like I say, as I, as I go up to these places, I learn a lot uh, about the commitment to, to the land and, and to agriculture. And it's wonderful to see those uh, families continue to stay in it. That, that keeps me around as well. Mm-hmm. No, that's why it's one of the reasons we do what we do is working with these families. Yep. And I know, you know, I know we addressed a lot today, but for those of you who have a lot of questions, um, we have a lot of other materials. Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your commitment to conservation and land stewardship is just something I've personally looked up to, but I know a lot of people in the industry have too. So thank you for your knowledge on that. You're welcome. (laughs) I'll see you next time. For those of you who have joined, I'm Haley Murr, and I made the episode today with the help of our head of marketing, Mallory Boyce. Uh, Big shout outs to MRG founder, Ken Murr. If you want to learn more, be sure to check out our earlier podcast episodes about conservation and conservation easements. And for more information on the ranch real estate market and other topics relating to ranch ownership, be sure to check out our website, www.murranchgroup.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening to the Land Bulletin podcast. See you next time.